Hey, for those of you that don't know, um, most of you do know, but a few years back, God uh, gave me a boat, and uh, I wasn't really a motorboat person, um, and I kind of like, you know, never had a motorboat where actually you turn the key in the boat and the motor started and all that, and so motorboats were kind of a, you know, a pain that needed fixed all the time, but this is a really nice motorboat, and once I finally realized that, it's like, all right, so I, uh, uh, the, the person who gave it to me offered to take me out in it. And, uh, um, and it said, if you don't like it, you know, because we tried selling it, we're going to use it commercially. We tried selling it and it didn't work out. And it's kind of, uh, you know, beginning of the year. And the guy said, all right, well, I'm going to take you out in it. And if it, you don't like it, then we'll go ahead and uh, I'll help you sell it in, in, in the spring. And it'll be easy to sell in the spring. Well, Ashley and Keone went on the first trip and we get done. And Ashley and Keone were like, you're not selling this boat, granted. And I was like, okay. And, and then Emily went out again. And Emily's like, Emily's like, you're not selling this boat, Dad. I've always wanted a boat my whole life. I'm like, well, Emily, you've never said that before. And so, well, you're a pastor. You can't afford one. So I was like, I'm like, okay, all right. And, and so I remember even the first, um, the first trip, there were some of our snowbirds, because I, I told people it was January and a normal January. And I said, hey, guys, I don't know anything about motorboating. In fact, I even broke trying to dock this thing for the very first time, or, or not dock it, but to actually put it on the trailer, I actually broke a fender, you know, and did a lot of different, I'm like, I don't really know about this, but I got to figure this out. And if I'm going to figure it out, it's going to be by me using it. So if anybody has the guts to come out with me, I'm going out on Tuesday, and then I'm going out on Thursday, and I'm going to start going out. And so that first group came out, and it was a bunch of snowbird dudes from six different states. I'll never forget because they all brought these giant fishing poles. How many of you ever seen the movie Jaws? Remember Jaws when everybody shows up? That's what my boat looked like, dude. I had, I had a dozen gigantic surf rods, offshore rods, and I got this little 20-foot Carolina skiff. Not so little, but it's not that kind of boat. And, and, and we're storing everything, and we take off. And I'll never forget, man, as we're kind of driving around, uh, you know, in the backcountry trying to figure out. I'm just trying to not to kill anybody at this point. I was happy I got out of the dock. Everything was good. And I put it in reverse when I was supposed to and all that. And anyways, um, I started hearing these guys, and they were saying, hey, um, why, don't, um, why don't we get our families together? I found out there were six guys from six different states. Let's get our families together and hang out. And I was like listening to them. I said, well, why don't you guys start a small group? And they're like, you'd let us do that? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you know, snowbirds, they want our attendance. They want our tide, but they don't really want us to do anything. They just want us to show up. And I'm like, dude, start a small group. And so that day, a small group got started with six families. And then Thursday, I take some guys, some more people out. And the same thing happens again. And God's like, you know, hey, so do you really want a concrete office with shoes and all that? And I'm like... No, but is this legal? Because <laughs> I've been on staffs where pastors, they name their boat visitation so that they could actually lie and say, I'm out on visitation, meaning they're on their boat. And, and God's like, no, this can be your office. This can be like how you do ministry. And I'm like, really, this is legal? This is crazy. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot, God. <laughs> and God's like, give it a shot. Dude, this, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so as we started going every Tuesday, Thursday, whatever the dates were, we kind of looked at the weather and we started going out. And I think now that might have been at least three, maybe four years ago that that's all going. God keeps the boat running, keeps everything strong in that. And uh, everybody said, what's the name of the boat? And the name of the boat is koinonia. Does anybody know what koinonia means? It's a, it's a Greek word for fellowship. 
And, and, and so at being koinonia, we don't have it on the side of the boat. That's kind of too big. And everybody's like, koinonia, what? You know, and different stuff. But it's the Greek word when you read in the New Testament for fellowship. That's the Greek word fellowship. And I remember when I first got saved and became a believer, I remember uh, I, I saw all these weird words in the Bible. How many of y'all, when you got saved, y'all saw weird words in the Bible? You're like, dude, what is, I suffer the little kids? What does that mean? Fellowship? Dude, I don't know. If I, and I asked an old pastor, I said, what's fellowship? And he said, it's a couple fellas in a ship, <laughs> a couple fellas in a ship. And I didn't really know what that meant because I didn't have a ship at the time. I had paddleboards, had kayaks, canoes, I had all these things I paddle and didn't have to depend on, you know, a motor for. But now I could take people out all the time. And, I'm, and I've learned over the last three, four years what fellowship really, truly is. It's some fellas in a ship, they, fellowettes also. And, and, and if you've ever been in a boat with people, Dude, things taste better. Things are, dude, Vienna sausages, man. How many of y'all were pounding some Vienna sausages out on the salt water, man? I mean, it's way better than it is if mom serves them up for dinner. I'm just saying. Um, well, everybody shares stuff. It's a really cool thing. Everybody helps each other out. It's amazing when people start breaking food out on the boat and they're like, oh, here, you want to try this? And all of a sudden, I'm the captain and I'm just watching this and everybody's just sharing and helping each other out. I've seen a lady or two fall into the boat, fall into the open hatch, and she's stuck there like a turtle on her back, and, and everybody wasn't like, oh, look at her, you know, everybody reached in to help her out. I've seen so many different things happen, I've, and on that boat, everybody kind of works together, and, 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 and they're all, because they know they're all in the same boat, just different seats. Man, we'll be flying if winds hit hardcore east one time, you know, maybe we'll be flying south, you know, and, and all of a sudden, dude, the person over on the port side is getting pounded by chop. They're soaking wet. The person on the starboard side is all nice. And they're like, yeah, look at my seat. And guess what happens when we turn around? <laughs> the person on the starboard side is getting pounded and the port side is looking at me. And somebody's like, oh, here, take a towel. And so things change always. I've watched people on the bow. Um, Milton, I'll never forget Milton on the bow of your boat. <laughs> Dude, we're offshore and, and it's going bam, bam, bam. And Milton's flying up and flying down. And I'm not even going to repeat what he said, but it was a classic Miltonism. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it was crazy. But, but all of a sudden, you know, that can change. And all of a sudden, it's just glass calm. You know, I've watched... I've watched so many things happen on the boat where everybody just comes together and your circumstances may be great one minute, but your circumstances change the next moment. In fact, last year, right at this time, we were having a great time in the Keys and my motor stalled and Terry went to pull me and one of his friends popped his thumb off trying to hold the, hold the line. And yeah, Emily got to see it firsthand. Why are you making that face, Emily? <laughs> but... Things can change, and then things change back again, and they change, and they change back again. But how many of y'all know life changes like that? Life continually changes, but what we've got to realize as believers, once you give your life to Christ, you're in whose boat? His boat. You are in his boat. Are you ever going to get kicked out of his boat? No. And how long are you going to be in his boat? forever and there's nothing that you can do to change that and yeah one you might be going in a season of life right now where you're getting pounded by chop man you you're just getting pounded but then guess what does the chop last forever 
No, it changes. Man, somebody might have the good seat. They're in the shade, and you're in the sun on the front deck, and you're like, oh, and guess what? The boat changes direction. All of a sudden, you're in the shade. They're in the sun. But we're all in the same boat as believers. We're just in different seats. And how many of y'all have had your seat changed a few times in life? How many of y'all know your seat can change again? You know? And so when we realize that we're all in this together, but the benefit is that we're truly all in his boat. Because if we're in his boat, where is this boat going to end up? It's going to end up in heaven, exactly. And there's nothing that's going to stop it from ending up in heaven where we're going to be forever and ever. But when we start getting all messed up and we start getting all angry and we start getting dissatisfied with our current situation and, and we don't, you know, we're just cantankerous. What happens if one person on the boat is cantankerous? Hey, Terry, what happened if one person's got a bad attitude on the boat? Dude, you can take everyone down. Yeah. And, 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 and unfortunately in the eternal boat, we can't throw you off. Right. I'm just, no, <laughs> but not that we want to, but, but I've watched people help a cantankerous person see the bright side, you know, looking for stuff. But the fact is, is that what we need to be thrilled about is that we are all on the same boat. And we are all, and again, everybody's not on a boat. When you come to this world, you are on a different boat. You are on a boat that is headed for hell. Um, that is what scripture says. That is what the gospel says. That's why God is offering you to, a, a chance to ride on his boat. He's pulling up. He's, he's, how many of y'all had God pull up with his boat next to you and invite you on his boat somehow? How many of you had people that God, God designated to throw lifelines to you, throw life rings to you, whatever, and say, grab on, grab on, here, jump in, come on. We all had that happen if we ended up on his boat. He used somebody to do that. And that's what our boat's supposed to be for. Our boat is not a love boat cruise ship. And so often I think we think about it that way. It's the cruise ship. I paid for this cruise, and I should be enjoying this cruise. And you know what? My room's a little hot. My air conditioning's not working. I don't like the smell in it. I don't like the color. of. We are fortunate to be on this boat because it's not a cruise ship. It is a rescue ship. Dude, you were saying, uh, uh, Tom, that you were surfing Stuart Rocks, right? That's also called the house of what? Refuge. Because there was a time where there were shipwrecks all on the Treasure Coast, and there were houses of refuge where people rode boats out to rescue people who had sunk on ships that had run aground. And that's what the church is. That's what our boat is supposed to be. But when we start getting self-centered, when we start thinking about us instead of him, when we get that world mentality that James was talking about, the world mentality says, I love who? Me. And if there's anything left, I can't love you unless I love me. And if I love me, then, then maybe I'll have a little bit left for you. And then God can get whatever. But God's system is, who do we love first? We love God. And if we truly love God, he caused us to love who? Others. And is there any benefit to loving others? Yes. It's the most awesome thing in the world when God causes you to love, especially people that aren't being very lovable. And, and you love them and you watch things change, especially if they're in the same boat with us. But where we get in trouble is when we lose the perspective of that. And so one of the things James says in James chapter four, we haven't quite started James five yet around chapter 11 or verse 11 and 12. There was these two little verses that I skipped when, because God had me skip them to preach the next message. But two little verses in there that almost kind of are confusing. 
if you don't really dig deep, they're hard to kind of understand. And they're kind of our springboard into what we're preaching on today. And so um, in that, basically the idea is if we're all in the same boat, gossip, and we, we're all having a great time in that boat, gossip and slander will kill the vibe in that boat. It'll kill that community. And that gossip and slander comes when we start thinking about us first, our needs, our wants, our desires, and that becomes priority in everything, as opposed to remembering how fortunate we are to simply be in his boat. <laughs> how, many, how many of y'all like realize you were sinners and you swam for miles and you outran God's boat and jumped on his boat? How many of y'all got there by your own doing? No. Dude, he backed it up. He pulled it next to you. He threw you a life ring. He pulled you. You are fortunate you're not drowning in the world if you're a child of God. It is all his doing. And when we lose that perspective again, one of the things James says is that gossip and slander will kind of come into our lives. And we're going to talk more about that because those are pretty harsh words. Only two little verses in here, but then we're going to go to Proverbs and see a few things. But man, nothing like killing a vibe than killing it with gossip and slander. And we'll see what that kind of is here in a minute. All right, so look what James says, verse 11. This is chapter four, just verse 11 and 12. He said, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. All right, so he said, don't speak evil against one another, brothers and, and, and brothers and sisters. So who is he talking to? Yeah, talking to the church. When you're talking about brothers and sisters, you're talking about somebody who's been born again and has an eternal father. Now, again, do you expect to hear slander and gossip in the world? It, would you be surprised if the people who don't know Jesus Christ gossip against you in the world and slander you in the world? Isn't that one of the tactics to get ahead in the world is to slander somebody, to, to ruin their bad name? Because so often in the world, the only way somebody can get bigger is if they squish somebody else. You ever seen that? Isn't that one of the tactics of the world? How many of you ever had somebody slander you? It's a hard thing, isn't it? In fact, um, I was at a pastor's conference one time, long, long time ago, and whatever you think about him, the dude Jerry Falwell, rest his soul, he, um, he, he, had to, he was one of the first guys to attack a lot of people, the, the uh, head of Hustler magazine, uh, all the different immoral things that he saw, and he got really kind of tangled into a bunch of stuff, and he was being slung through the mud all the time by the world. And I'll never forget, I was at a pastor's conference and they asked him, it was like one of those question answer things. And they said, man, with you having to defend yourself so much, how do you find time to do ministry? Man, I, I can't believe you have to defend yourself against, seeing, against this group, this group, this group. How do you ever find time to do ministry? He said, well, a mentor of mine, a guy named B.R. Lake and said, don't defend yourself. And everybody's like, what? He said, don't defend yourself. He said, your friends don't need it. And your enemies aren't going to believe it. But the devil would love for us to spend all our time, effort, and energy defending ourselves against slander. And, and when in fact, you know what? Have you ever heard a bad report about one of your friends? And if you're truly a friend, what do you do? Or you go to them or you just ignore because you know it's not true. Or you go to them, but unfortunately, sometimes we get involved in that, and then we get our big posse together. But in this, he says, don't speak evil against another brother. And that evil is gossip and slander, okay? That's, that's, that's what it, it, the Greek word for evil there, it, it's talking about gossip and slander. Uh, look what he says here. 
How's it going, Joan? <laughs> all right. I am. It's all good, man. Everybody say, hey, Joan. All right. All right. All right. Very good. <laughs> hey, are you guys with Joan? Yeah, I'm messing with you. <laughs> all right. All right. So he says, don't speak evil against another brother. In other words, we expect this in the world, don't we? We expect to hear our, our names being slandered, especially if you stand up for Christ. You, they're looking for some. It's not you. It's God that they're, they're having conviction with. But we expect it from the world. But where do we not expect to have gossip and slander? Yeah, and in your own family. I mean, we are a family as a church, and not just Driftwood. I'm talking about the whole community of God. What about in your own family? Ashley, do you expect that we sit down to dinner, that we should start trashing Matt because he's not there? Now, we've done that before, haven't we? But, but, but in your own family, dude, shouldn't you expect love and acceptance and wanting people to help you and come to your defense? What, what's the old saying? Blood is what? Thicker than water. It used to be until we got all scattered everywhere and, and had different loyalties. But that's the thing, man. In your own family, you don't expect. Chris, somebody starts talking bad about your wife. Dude. Yeah, socked in the nose. That's a nice way. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, I was just thinking the same thing about her, you know. And uh, no, even if you were, you don't jump on their side because you just don't do that in a family, do you? You do that with each other in the family, right? You come together. If somebody offends you, what are you supposed to do, Nate? Matthew 18 says we go to them privately and we go to them for the purpose of reconciliation. You know, but but here it says, man, in the church it's families that don't speak evil against one another. The one who speaks against that one, that word against who speaks against. It's a phrase in the Greek and it's not used a lot, but it's talking about a harsh, critical spirit that always finds faults with others. So when you look at it first, you're like, oh, don't speak evil. Oh, we didn't speak evil. We're just joking. No, you're not. <laughs> we're, just be, we're just talking about, we're talking fact. I'm a fact teller. <laughs> no, you're not. You're, you're a gossip. You're a slander. He says, don't do that against brothers and sisters. The one who speaks and always has a harsh, critical spirit that always finds faults with others. How many of y'all ever met somebody that is harsh and critical? They have a critical spirit that always finds faults with others. How many of y'all know somebody like that or met somebody ever? If you're sitting next to them, don't point them out. All right. Seriously, though, in that, how many of y'all have ever been that person yourself? How many of you ever been in a funk? You know what I'm saying? You've been in that funk, you're in that mood, and everything that comes out of your mouth, dude, is harsh. Everything's wrong. It's harsh. It's critical spirit. I can find fault with everything. I heard an old story one time. Y'all remember, anybody know what Limburger cheese is? Limburger cheese, dude, is there a stinkier cheese than Limburger cheese? No. There, it was a story about an old man, dude. He went into his favorite room, his nice study, got in his favorite chair. He's laying there. He's, he's got his favorite everything all around him, man, and he falls asleep. While he's asleep, some young kids, his grandkids come in and they smear Limburger cheese in his mustache. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine Limburger cheese smear... Uh, 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 
Sabrina, can you imagine Limburger cheese in your mustache? No, I'm not joking. You know you don't have a mustache. All right, but literally, he's, all of a sudden, he's got Limburger cheese in his mustache, and all of a sudden, he wakes up, and life, what? Life stinks. He's like, wow, man, must be the shirt, changes his shirt. Must be the chair, changes the chair. Must be the room, change the room. But, hey, Bruce Lee, Eisenhower, what's going to happen wherever he goes? Life's going to stink, isn't it? But is it because everything around him stinks? No, it's because he stinks. (laughs) And until he changes him, nothing's going to change in all of this. And so we've got to figure out a way to avoid this situation. And we've got to find a way to extinguish the situation and find a way to turn it around and not be a part of it. But we know that sometimes we get in that funk where we have a harsh, critical spirit that always finds fault with others. And when we have that funk on us, that Limburger cheese mustache, man, we're just going to find fault with everything. My mom used to say two things. Uh, I remember a lot. She said a lot of things, but I remember a couple. She said that we judge others by ourselves. In other words, if somebody, if you're a thief, what are you going to think, Chris? Dude, everybody's stealing. If you're a liar, hey, if you're a liar, what do you think? Dude, everybody's lying. I can't trust what you're saying. And so you judge others by yourself, and you find what you look for. And you know, that's kind of biblical right there. I mean, I'm not preaching on that today. But if everything stinks, you better, think of, you better go search out and see if you got a Limburger cheese mustache. <laughs> you know, that just being be what's happening. So he says, man, do not speak evil against uh, one another, brothers. The one who speaks uh, against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And so you're like, whoa, wait a minute. So we're just supposed to let everything happen? We can't call out sin? That's not what it's talking about. This word judges is not talking about evaluating a situation. It's not talking about evaluating. It's not talking about correcting things with scripture. It's talking about condemning somebody. Be honest, how many of you have ever had a condemning discussion about somebody because they didn't do what you liked? Yeah. How many of you ever had it with, about a Christian? How many of you ever had it about a bunch of Christians? Yeah. Such conviction, and you've got to be so careful, especially today, because the devil, understand this, it isn't mask against no mask. It isn't vaccine against no vaccine. It isn't about government. It isn't about all these divisions. You know what the Bible says? We don't fight against what? Flesh and blood. We don't fight against flesh and blood. You know who we fight against? The enemy, against principality. We fight against the devil. And if the devil can get us divided over secondary things, because it's my right, it's my, it's my position, it's my, this is what I want, it's me, it's me, instead of what God wants. Now, Again, he's not talking about evaluating based on scripture. He's talking about being condemning and most of the time condemning because, well, man, I just don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. And right now, if there's ever been a time, even the church is divided. Even the church is divided. We can't let the devil do that. That's what's happening. We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Christ. So he goes on and says, man, if you have that spirit against a brother, or he even goes another step, you're judging them, condemning them, not evaluating. You're condemning them. You don't agree with their perspective. You don't agree with their opinion. So you're, 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 you're trying to 
increase your posse so that your posse is bigger than them and, and all the people that you hang out with, see, I got all kinds of support for what I believe and they're wrong. Uh, it, he says, man, don't do that against a brother. Y'all are all in the same boat, just different seats. He says, man, if you do that, you're speaking evil against the law and you're judging the law. Okay, so the law, when they asked Jesus, they said, hey, what's the most important What's the most important commandment? Now, obviously, when they were trying to ask Jesus what's the most important commandment, they were trying to what? Trip him up, John, right? And Jesus outsmarted them all and gave us a great lesson. He said, what did he say was the most important commandment? Yep. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything. Love him with everything. And the second that's just like it, he says, is to love what? Love others. And James has already discussed this earlier. He said, we have to love others the way we want to be loved ourselves. Hey, when you make a judgment call on somebody, Jason, when you make a judgment call, and I, I imagine you probably, your dad never does that, right? No. You make a judgment call on somebody, what kind of information do you have in making that judgment? Very little. Yeah, but I saw this, I saw this, I've watched this. Even if you've watched it for years, how much of it do you not know? Yeah, we're making judgment calls on people, judgment calls on situations where we don't have all the information. God does. And, and so in this, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love people the way we want to be loved. How many of y'all ever had somebody make a judgment call on you and they didn't know the whole story? Anybody, isn't that what usually happens? But yet when we're making the judgment call, we think we've got the whole story because we're way smarter than that person who made the judgment call on me, right? <laughs> but the fact is, man, you don't like it being done to you. We're supposed to love others the way we want to be loved. We're supposed to kind of give a benefit of a doubt. We're supposed to kind of, we're supposed to kind of let God be God and us be us. And, 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 and now I'm not saying you've got to hang out with everybody. I'm not saying you can't call wrong, wrong, and right, right. I'm not saying that at all. But a lot of the stuff we're making judgment on isn't really that black and white in that situation. So he goes on and says, a, a brother, or, or, or if you're going to condemn his, he said, you're speaking evil against the law and you judge the law because the law says love God and he wants you to love who? People. So let me ask you a question. When somebody is being judgmental or they're condemning you, when somebody has a critical spirit and there's nothing you can do right, do you feel loved by them? Are you generally loved by them? No. Now, I'm not saying there isn't time where, where we just have, we butt heads and, and, and there's a difference in stuff. But the fact is, is think about if next time we're talking about somebody, next time we're condemning somebody, I don't care if it's a system, whatever, next time we're talking about a person, we're condemning them, ask yourself, is this the way I'd want them to treat me? How many of y'all ever been in a situation where you're being condemned and you're just thinking, God, if they just knew the whole story, if they just knew all the details, but I don't want to tell them all the details because I'm afraid what they would do with all the details. They'd use those against me. In other words, in the boat, we want to give a benefit of a doubt if you're in the boat with Christ, because how many of y'all are perfect, right? And what did Jesus even say with the adulterous woman, man, he started writing in the sand and, and, and he said, who did he say? He who did he invite to cast the first stone? Anyone who never sinned, right? Not in the same way. 
But anybody who's never sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. There's mercy. That's what we want. We want God to have mercy on us, but he want, we want him to have judgment on others. How many of y'all know that? <laughs> Somebody wrongs you, God, send a lightning bolt, give them a new hairdo. <laughs> they deserve judgment. <laughs> but God, oh, dude, it was just a total mistake. I'm sorry, God, have mercy on me. If we love others the way we love ourselves, which is what the law says, then we're going to ask that God would somehow have mercy on them. I don't know how you're going to apply this to your situation that you're in right now. Because I know each of you have some different situations where somebody deserves, gets, they don't deserve, but they should get, they deserve because the law should get some mercy. And you're like, I don't want to give them mercy. Maybe that's where your prayer starts. God, give me the desire to give them mercy. Because if you don't have the desire, you can't do it. That's like the key to forgiveness, even. One time I had to forgive somebody bad. And, and, and God was like, well, then just go love them. And I was like, I don't want to love them. <laughs> I was just being honest with God. I don't want to love them. He said, then why don't you start praying for the desire to love them? God, I don't even want to pray for the desire to love them. Because I know you. You're going to make it happen. Who does that sound like in Scripture? Jonah. <laughs> Go, go, go to the Ninevites. No, the Ninevites are so horrible. You don't understand everything. And God says, I know everything. Go to them. No, you're going to be so good. You're going to save them. And I want them to be miserable. <laughs> that was me. And I'm like, okay, God. I'm going to pray only because I want to be as obedient as I can to you. But God, give me the desire. <laughs> give me the desire to, to love them. And then later it starts, give me the desire to love them. God, will you give me the desire to love them? Watch how he changes you. And when you have the desire to love them, then what happens? You love them. Now, love's not giving them what they want. It's giving them what they need, and only God knows that. But you can be a part of that. So he says, man, if, if you're being condemning, if you've got that critical evil, that spirit against people, he said, basically, you're con living contrary to the law. Contrary to God's law, which is to love God, and you know you love him if you love people. If you don't love people, then you don't love God. That's what James said, or John even said. He wrote a little book about it and said, you think you love God, you say you love God, but if you don't love people, you're fooling yourself. That's how you'll know. You can talk all you want, but the proof's in the pudding. And he says, you're judging the law. And he goes on and says, but if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law. In other words, if you're not loving people, okay, he said, if you're not loving them, then you're not a doer of the law. <laughs> you know, you're not doing it. You're not doing what it says. And so that is, is not that you got to force yourself to do something. You got to have God change your heart in all of that. So as if you judge, if you, if you, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge. Now, let me ask you a question. Who's the judge? The only judge. God. And so if you're being a judge, and uh, now what are you supposed to be? You're supposed to be a, do, a what? A doer. And God's supposed to be the, if you're trying to be the judge, you're trying to do whose job? Are you going to be very good at doing God's job? How many of y'all know you stink at doing God's job? <laughs> and how many of y'all aren't even very good at doing your own job? <laughs> and we could use some more practice getting better at doing our own job. Our job is to be a doer. How many of y'all have life totally under control? And dude, I have got it. I'm down. I've got it. Perfect. Everything. So God, I've got all my responsibilities. I've got all my, my ducks are in a row. Give me somebody else's ducks. <laughs> I 
I need more on my plate. I want someone else's responsibilities. I want somebody else's because I'm so good at doing my job. Anybody there? No. <laughs> Don't be asking for more ducks. Get yours in a row. And, and, and that's in doing what God wants you to do. So again, he's the judge. And that's part of the problem is, so if you're trying to do his job, what are you telling God about the job he's doing? He ain't doing it. I'm better than you at doing it. Wow, who's the most famous person in the world for ever doing that? Telling God he's better than God at doing it. Satan. Satan. That's all he did. That, that's what he did according to the book of Isaiah. Same thing. So he said, man, do your job. Man, you're not a, you're not a doer of the law. Don't even think of that. You're, you're a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. That's God. He sets the law and he applies it. He is able to save and destroy. Hey, so if somebody needs to be destroyed, which is usually why we would slander and gossip, who's going to do a better job at destroying them? You or God? Yeah. But that darn God, he's so merciful. He's so loving. He's not going to destroy them like I want them destroyed. Instead, he's going to do what? What did it say? He's going to save them the same way he saved you. Hey, how many of y'all are saved? How many of you think that there was somebody in your past that would like to have you destroyed? <laughs> yeah, and God saved you instead. Aren't you glad? Uh, aren't you glad that person who wanted to destroy you is not God? And so in this, he says, let God be God. You do your job and let God be God. He said, who are you to judge your neighbor? And in fact, John, uh, James keeps going back to the Sermon on the Mount over and over. He was Jesus's half brother and he, heard, he knew Jesus grew up with him. He heard the same message Jesus preached over and over again. And that's what he brings all of this back in the book of James. Y'all know the story about the log and the speck, right? He's like, he's like, man, before you try to remove the little speck in your eye, in your neighbor's eye, get rid of the what in your own? The plank, the log. So here it is. Uh, Keone, we were joking the other day. Where's Keone? Oh, he's out there. Keone the other day. Uh, how many of y'all have seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Right? And you remember that dude? He, he has a wood eye. You know the wood eye guy in there? And remember when he gets the fork stuck in his eye? <laughs> and the fork's like going like this? Right? How many of y'all let that dude do eye surgery on you? <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? That's what Jesus is saying here. Keone the other day is like, just out of the blue at dinner. I'd like to have a wood eye. I'm like, what? I'd like to have a wood eye, and then I could have a fork sticking out of it. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> and then we, we gave him all the reasons in the world why he doesn't need a wood eye and how that would severely limit his depth perception and view and everything else, and I don't think he got it. He just thought it was cool to have a wood eye so he could have a fork sticking out. But, but when you think about that, can you imagine? Can you imagine, Chris, you've got a speck in your eye. And here I've got a two by, I got a log in mine. Woo! I'm like, hey, dude, let me, uh, let me fix your eye. What are you going to say? Oh, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Because I'm, I, I'm severely limited in helping you until I get rid, rid, rid of what? Get rid of yours. Yeah, till I get mine fixed. Dude, if you're so good at fixing, why don't you fix yourself first? The proof's in the pudding again. And that's what Jesus is saying. Every one of us has a log in our eye. And by the way, that piece of wood can be the same thing because look, I got a log. Perception wise, when you look at it, it's far away. It's a speck, but for me, it's a log. Every one of us has a log. And to each other, it's a speck. You know? 
to get fix yours first is what he said. He said, but who are you to judge? And that means condemn your neighbor. Now, I'm not telling, he does say we're supposed to be fruit inspectors. Somebody says there's a believer. There should be some fruit in their life. You know, my daughter wants to marry somebody who's not a, a believer. And they say they're a believer, but there's no fruit in their life. I'm a fruit inspector. It's like, dude, I got to see some fruit, you know. I, I, I'm comparing things with the word of God here, but I'm talking this when we slander and, and, and condemn. Man, we have that critical spirit again. It's, we're prone to it. All you got to do is spend too much time on Facebook, spend too much time on the news, spend too much time on TV, spend too much time with the wrong people. How hard is it to get a critical spirit in this day and age? It seems that's all that there is around. We've got to do something different. And, and what we need to do is do the law. We need to love others the way God wants us to love them. We've got to love them the way he loves them. Give people the benefit of the doubt because you don't know it all. We're trying to make judgment calls on limited information. So I want to give you a little dichotomy on how this all goes down. I want to show you how much God hates disunity. You know what I love so much about Driftwood is no matter who we have from whoever, how, you know, you guys are only here for the month, right? You know, and then you're back over to Lake Placid. You may be back next year. Last week, we had people sitting over here that uh, they come once a year, maybe twice a year and do every year. I've seen them forever. You know, and there's always new people coming. Some of you guys are regulars, which I'm so grateful for that. You know, it's just always different people. But the vibe here is there's a vibe of love. Is there? Do y'all get a good vibe here? You're like, well, I'm just going to say you have a Limburger cheese mustache. But I'm, you know, but, but literally, there's kind of a loving vibe no matter, oh, they're snowbirds. We hate them. Or they're like, you know, oh, he's from Pittsburgh and I hate the Steelers. You know, or, you know they're, I'm just, dude. It's like, it's so exciting, whoever comes, every week I get excited to see somebody I haven't seen, and I get as equally excited to see people I saw last week, or even the other day. I like that vibe. And in the family of God, there should be that vibe. Hey, Santa, we go to Haiti? Man, I haven't been in five years or whatever. As soon as we get off the back of the truck, what happens? I got big ladies giving me big hugs, man, lifting me off the ground. And that could happen today. And, and if they gave me big hugs, what happens when you get off the truck? Because you're with me. Yeah, you got big hugs, too. And by the way, my buddy Al, man, he wasn't feeling so hot, but he was going to be here today. And we're talking about things we can start doing for Haiti because we feel like there's an inroad getting ready to happen where we can start going back again. But we, there's some things we can do now. We got to make some plans. And so... Yeah, that's what we're expecting in the fellowship. Never forget my first trip to Africa, dude. Man, my first trip to Africa, it was when Saddam Hussein was in the wrong country, and we were, that was a shock and awe thing. And by this certain day, if he wasn't out, America was going to bomb him. That was the day we got over to Nigeria, which is just south of that. And, and it's very Islamic at that point. And we're in Lagos, Nigeria, and they were scared. They're like, yeah, we're going to wait because tonight... America says they're going to bomb Saddam Hussein. There might be a big war. And we were going to send you 200 miles north up to Kaduna, a place that doesn't really speak English, but we know you eat anything, so we're sending you up there. And there's probably somebody who can speak sort of English and, and, and all this. And so the next day we got news. I don't know if you remember 1991, but the next day we got news. 
on the, the, it was probably CNN, literally everywhere you go in the world, that is what they see. And we got news that Saddam Hussein was killed by the Americans. They bombed him and he's dead. Hey, how many of y'all know that was a lie? <laughs> yeah, that, but that's what the news said. So like, oh, it's, the war's over, go. They sent us 200 miles up north into Kaduna. And we're going, and it's about dark when we get up in there, and there's three white guys, because we were young guys and we ate everything again. And, and, and I got my head out the window like, oh, what's going on? Why are they burning things? I'm seeing, I've never seen riots. I didn't know it was riot, dude. They were burning stuff. And like, oh, the Polytechnic Institute, they're, it's all the young people, they're, riot, they're, they're, they're having a, a, a riot. You know, they're protesting. I said, well, what are they protesting? They said, white people, Americans, and Christians. I was like, dang. <laughs> it was like, all right, 200 miles to get back, 20 miles, you know, two miles to get where we're going because I can see the fires from where. And we pull in the back of the hotel and through all of this, and they're like, what are you doing here? We sent word for you not to come. And I'm like, well, here we are. <laughs> and they're like, get in here. Did anybody see you? And I'm thinking, yeah, because I was kind of sticking my head out the window looking. And um, like I do in Haiti, like, hey, bonjour, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm looking and, and they're like, did anybody see you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, get upstairs, put mattresses up against your windows and then furniture up against the mattress because they had bars on the windows. And they're like, if you smell something burning, they probably threw like a bottle with fire and gasoline on it and the mattresses catching on fire, put it out and put a different piece of something up there to block it. And so me, Doug Tanner, and Dave Steele, us three white boys from Orlando, young guys, man, we prayed Psalm 92 that all night. Dear God, please, God, we're here. This is real. I don't know what's going on. You got, brought us here to preach the gospel. And, and, and we're there, and just God gave us peace. The next morning we wake up, and they, the police chief, he was a Christian, he said, look, I've made deals with all of the Islamic heads. And they said, as long as you stay in the church, you'll be okay. And I started finding out that just a year or two prior, the Islamic people who owned the gas refineries, they would give anybody gas as long as they promised you some of it to burn the Christian stuff. So the Christians in the very house where I was staying, the Christians in the very church where I was preaching, less a year or two prior had had everything burned. They had nothing but Christ, dude, and they had smiles, man. It was awesome to watch these people. And then hundreds of them packed into churches outside looking in just to hear us preach in all of that. And, and it was like crazy. I'd never met them before in my life, but I was like their brother and sister. And that was my first experience as a Christian somewhere foreign under adverse circumstances where I just watched Christians in the Christian family love me. There was a bond. It was almost like, how can I put it here? It's almost like we had the same spirit in us because <laughs> we did. It was amazing. Could not even speak the same language. Didn't have the same culture. Man, they, had a, they were going to get severely persecuted because we were there, yet they were so glad to have us. That's what you expect in the family of God. And no matter how much of a jerk someone else is being, how many of y'all ever had somebody say that about you? <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> and no matter how much of a jerk you are, somebody else is in the family of God, we got to find a way to love them. Because there's nothing like turning things around for an unlovable person like love. So he says, man, he said, get rid of the, man, don't, who are you to judge your neighbor? Bring some love. And so now we get to, is that clock right? Yeah. All right. We're all, this won't take very long here. But um, 
So in this, I was trying to say, there's not enough to preach on these two verses. Now, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, God, I got to find a way to illustrate these two verses. And there's a, there's a beautiful passage in Proverbs chapter 6 that talks about the things God hates. And, and, and when he talks about it, he said there's six things he hates, but seven make him sick to his stomach. And I want you to know the culmination, the very last one. What do you think God hates more than anything else in this list? Disunity in his family. And when we get disunity in our family, when we want to criticize, when we want to condemn, when we want to break something out, it's not a matter of holding our tongue. It's not a matter of holding our words back. You know what it's a matter of? Getting the proper perspective on who we are and how God sees us and how God sees someone else. Everyone in this world was made in the image of who, according to Genesis? In God's image. Now, how many of y'all say, well, I know some folks that don't look like God. <laughs> You're talking about the one you saw in the mirror this morning, right? No, I'm just saying, God's image, we were all created to mimic God. In fact, Jason, did you look in the mirror this morning? A little bit, all right. Did you fix anything? Not really. But did you do anything when you did this? What, what happened to the image in the mirror? Yeah, he probably primped all morning, didn't he? Yeah, all right, I got you, man. Get that little curl going just right and everything, I got it. But w when you look in the mirror and you, you do this, what did that image do? The same thing. If it didn't, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you ain't going to be, it's kind of scary, right? But that's, that's what that word image is. We were all created to be in the image of God, but sin, from the very first sin when Satan slandered God, did God really say, here's God's real motive. Satan slandered God. That's how much God hates it because that's what took man down was slander. God wants the truth. And when man sinned and passed sin on, man, that sin distorts the image of God. So do you have like a mirror that kind of shows what you really look like? Or do you, did you like order one of those special fair mirrors from the fun house where you're looking and go, ooh, yeah. a real one. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because, man, you ever see those fair mirrors? <laughs> Can you imagine if you're really trying to, trying to figure out who you are in one of those? You imagine really trying to fix your hair right there? My wife's like, oh, I have a lump. Oh, no, that's just the mirror, <laughs> you know. That's just what I've always heard. My hair's lumpy today. <laughs> it's not, honey. It looks awesome. But anyways, <laughs> I'm going to shut up on that one because that's my wife and I have to go live with her. <laughs> She's not, <laughs> I get to live with her. I'm just going to shut up right now. All right, get back on scripture right here. All right. All right. So God hates disunity in his family. Check this out. <laughs> he said there's six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Hey, what does abomination mean? What do you think? If you hate something, that's pretty bad. Jordan, what do you think an abomination is? Yeah, it makes me want to puke. It's abominable. It's, it's horrible. So there's seven, when you put them together, that really make God sick. And believers are capable of this. But, he does, but that's why he hates it so bad. And I'm going to tell you what the seventh thing is. The seventh thing is somebody who brings disunity among the brethren. God hates when you stir stuff up in his family. And, and, it's, and it's not that he hates you. He hates what it does because if there's one place you're supposed to find peace and love and joy and patience and goodness and gentleness and meekness, it's where? It's here. 
with the family. But so often, man, there's fighting and there's strife and there's slander and there's bickering and taking sides and stuff. I am so grateful we, we've strived so hard all the time to keep the money, power, and politics out of this congregation here because I have seen those three things cause so much trouble in God's family and in individual congregations. And I don't want to see that, man. I want us to keep the main thing the main thing. But he said six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. And you're going to see a digression form in this, in here. <coughs> so the first thing you're going to see and this digression is it starts when you look down on others, lift up yourself and pick on people. OK, we're going to see this. So here's here's this digression. All right. So you're going to look down on others. OK, so I'm not very tall. So if I'm going to look down on others, what do I have to do to be able to look down even further on them? I've got to, I got to lift myself up. OK, because the higher I lift myself up, the easier it is for me to look down on others. Right. You know, and if I was really a couple of years ago, I'd have put two chairs up here, but I don't trust my reflexes anymore. But so so I got to I look down on others, but I've got to lift myself up to be able to do that because we're all in the same boat, different seats as believers. Right. Hey, Chris, what's the only reason you're in God's boat? He invited you and gave you grace and faith to be there. What's the only reason I'm there? What's the only reason Moses is there? <laughs> Same thing. Everybody in heaven is equal because we all got there the same way. That's why he's like, who the heck are you to be a judge? Who are you to look down? You must have to lift yourself up to be able to look down on others. And when they don't, and so if we look down on others and lift ourselves up, where is our value found now? What makes us valuable? Yeah, I'm more valuable because I'm higher than you. I got a better position than you. I'm smarter than you. I got a better IQ than you. I got better looks than you. I got better abilities than you. I got some way we lift ourselves up so that we can convince ourselves that we're looking down on others. And if they don't get it, our value is found in us now. Whereas believers in the same boat, what's our value found in? The fact that we're in his boat. The fact that we're all, we all have a home in heaven we didn't deserve. The fact that we have the coolest job in the universe. Terry, we got the coolest job. You get to do it through, through junkyards and scrapyards and selling things that cut cars in half. And I could go through everybody here. You guys get to do it through karaoke, man. You got, we, we got so many. You get to do it through making bridges, man. Gary, you get to do it through fishing, man, because you're retired. But I'm just saying, Dr. Bulk, you get to do it through breaking people's backs. Hey, Ashley, look over there. She told us the stories, man. No, it's like, I like your tricks. But, but we got the coolest job of anyone to represent the king of kings and lord of lords. And he just puts us in different places in that same boat. That's my value. Is there anything more valuable than being a child of the king? Anything more valuable than having eternal life that you didn't deserve? That's where our value comes. And when we find value in anything other than that, here's the digression we go through. Well, wait a minute. I was the most valuable person on the construction site, Bruce Lee Eisenhower. I was the most valuable person in, as Zane's assistant. I was the most valuable person in doing this. But now this guy. So now I have to lift myself up so I can look down on them to feel good about myself. Anybody ever done that? Okay, not you guys. Anybody ever see somebody do that? I know you guys would never do that. But have you ever seen somebody 
lift themselves up bragging so that they could look down on somebody else? And, and what if they don't see what you see in yourself? Doesn't that tick you off when they don't see how awesome you are? <laughs> when they see how great you are? Isn't that horrible when they don't really understand how awesome you are? What do you think, Erica? They don't get it, right? So, so guess what the next step is? I'm going to start picking on them. Because if I can pick on them, you know, then, then that just sends them down lower so I don't have to look as far to look down on them. So if I could send them down and lift myself up, then I got no problem looking down on them. Look at the scripture that goes with this. I think I'll just stay here for right now. Because, dude, you know. But, no, not that at all. Haughty eyes. A proud, uh, some versions say a proud look. And, and, and what that means, literally, in Hebrew, is to look down on somebody. Do any of us have a right to ever look down on anyone? Believers, do believers ever have a right to look down on other believers? No, because we're only in the position we're in because he put us there. And what about lost people? Were they created in the image of God? Absolutely. They can mimic God, but sin has totally destroyed that. And until they're born again, once they get born again, then they have a chance to be able to mimic God. And God, that was God's ultimate plan for everyone to be in his image, to mimic him. So as a representative, as an ambassador to God, and we're on key with all of ourselves, but we see lost people who are really lost. They're doing things whacked out that are so immoral, so against everything. What is our job as an ambassador? To represent the kingdom, to share the kingdom, to not to look down and say, well, I'm glad I'm not like you. <laughs> well, I'm glad, you know, no, because we were there. You remember where you came from? You remember what it was like before you had a desire for Christ? So no matter who it is, we have no right to look down. Man, pray for people. Pray that God, thank God for what he's given you, but but also help ask God to show you where you really are. How many of y'all ever got really, really close to God and seen how far away you were? You know, the farthest people away from God are the ones that think they're right there. When you get closer and closer and closer to him, you realize how far you are from him. So haughty eyes looking down. And so what this next part is a lying tongue. So we're looking down on others. We have a prideful look looking down on others. And so if they don't get it, Eric, if they don't get it, how awesome I am, right? Then I got to lie. So my first type of lying is called bragging. Anybody ever know somebody who brags all the time and every time they come to you, they're, they're bragging on how awesome they are and you're like, dude, you're lying. <laughs> you don't even want to fight them anymore. You're just like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Spunky back in the day. I, I, Spunky used to always, people come in, oh, Spunky, I ripped today, man. Man, I ripped. And he's like, you didn't rip till somebody said you ripped. <laughs> and that was the saying. You didn't surf well until somebody else said you surfed well. Because in everybody's eyes, we, Huey used to take fit of photographs back in the day. Not photos like Bill Davis does, but videos. And we'd be like, oh, hey, Hugh, did you get that one wave? And we'd think we were like Kelly Slater back in the day or Tom Curran or somebody. And all of a sudden, we'd watch the video and it'd be like, Bleh. And then you kook out at the end. It's like, I don't remember that. That's why everybody likes Bill Davis because he gets a shot and he gets the best shot and you look like a pro in the single frame, right? You know, but a lying tongue. 
So if, if, if I'm looking down on others and they're not getting how awesome I am, isn't that the purpose? Isn't that what my value is? Is how awesome I am? What do you think, Selma? Isn't that my purpose? How awesome I am? Everybody knows that and has to know how awesome I am. And if they're not getting it, I've got to tell them. Do you know people like that, though? No? You live a secluded life, man. <laughs> you're going to meet some. I guarantee you're going to meet some. Because what, what people will do is they'll start bragging on themselves, lifting themselves up so that they can look further down on people. We overestimate how good we are, underestimate how bad we are. And, and if that doesn't work, then we are hand, become hands that shed innocent blood. That's picking on people. And it may be actually shedding blood. It may actually be killing. People go that far. But Jesus said that just being angry with somebody is like murder in the, in, the, in the Beatitude, I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount. We kill people with our words. We kill people with slander. We kill people with that, with what we were talking about, with gossip. And all you're doing with gossip is, I'm better than them, and I'm bragging on me, and I'm going to pick on them with my words to show you how much lower they are than me. If you ever find yourself with a critical spirit Figure out where you are in this. And think about, in fact, if you're trying to find your self-esteem in your accomplishments, in your looks, in your abilities, in what you've, what you've done, our self-esteem doesn't come from that. It comes from what makes us valuable? Tom, what makes us valuable? Yeah, being in his boat, dude. We should be waving everybody, I'm in Jesus' boat, come on, man. This is my value. Because that's all that's going to matter in the end. None of this other stuff's mattering, is it? So there's the first part, all right? So everybody do this, just so you remember. Looking down, lifting up, and picking on people, <laughs> right? Right? If you find yourself with a critical spirit, start there, because that's where it starts. And the first one, looking down. You find a critical, you have a critical spirit and you're finding Limburger cheese mustaches, man, you're, everything's bad, man, start there and see where your, where your value is. Are, are you looking down on people because you, you've got to, to find value in yourself? Are you trying to lift yourself up to make yourself feel better? All you got to do is know who your identity in Christ is and, 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 and then go and see if you're picking on people, trying to knock them down. And if you've gotten started, stop right there because it gets worse. You can stop before there's disunity in your family, disunity in the body of Christ, disunity in the world. Tell me, tell me if this is not what's happening right now. How many opinions are there on the internet right now about what's going on and what's really the important issue? And how many of those people think that's, that they're right? I, I, everybody. How many are willing to, now you say a lying tongue, you know, how many, how many know somebody who's ever stretched things just a bit? Make it, they're not getting it, so I got to sensationalize it just a little bit, you know, that's lying. And then you got to pick and knock that other one down because the more you can lift yourself up and more you can throw them down, the greater the separation and the easier it is to look down on somebody. If you ever find yourself here, stop, man. That's not what God created you to do. So listen to this. Ashley actually called me this morning and asked if this was a typo. <laughs> she said, okay, so, so, so you look down, and so you lift your, on others, you lift yourself up, 
and you pick on people. And when you do those things, what happens is you develop a what kind of spirit? A hangry heart and you and a busy body, a hangry heart and a busy body. How many of y'all know somebody gets hangry? If you don't, I'll let you hang out with my girls. All right. My girls, dude, you feed them when they're hungry, not when they're starving. Uh, otherwise, dude, it is, it is there will be hell to pay. All right. I'm just saying you feed them. When, so a hangry. What is hangry? Hangry. All right. So the, you become what? Angry because you are hungry. That's what hung, that's what hangry is. So you're like, well, how's that have to do with this? Well, guess what? In here, what am I feeding off of here? I'm feeding off of the fact that I am so valuable. I am feeding off the fact of how good and how awesome I am, right? And so I'm looking down on others. They're not getting it, so I'm bragging. And to separate the gap, I'm picking on them, and they're still not getting it. Why aren't they getting how awesome you are? Because you're not. <laughs> because we're all competing. How many of you thought you were the, mo- you were the awesomest at something? <laughs> I know that's probably not a word. The awesomest at something. And then you found somebody more awesome than you at that. Yeah, there's always somebody more awesome than you at that. That's not our self-esteem isn't found in that. And so, so again, your hunger is for what? That everybody recognizes how awesome I am, recognizes how valuable I am, how good I am. And when that hunger isn't being fed, you become what? Angry. So that's why it's called hangry. You have a hangry heart. Your heart is now consumed with with developing plans, developing some way for the entire world to know how awesome I am. And in order to do that, you become a busybody. You got to be in and out everything and know everything about everything because there might be an opportunity of something I know in some situation I'm in where I can knock people down. I might gain some information and know some dirt on them where I can push them down further. Or there might be some way I can lift myself up and separate the gap so we can look down on people. Is that making sense at all? So what happens when you live that first part, you develop a hangry heart and a busy body. Look at this next verse. A heart that devises what? The word wicked in the Hebrew means the wrong motivation. What's the only right motivation for a believer? To bring glory to God. And so any motivation other than bringing glory to God is wicked. And so especially here, if your motivation now is to do what? Let everyone know how awesome I am. To separate the gap. So you're devising ways, plans to separate the gap, to lift yourself up and push others down. Now, again, I know none of you are guilty of this, maybe in your other life, but how many of y'all know somebody like this? How many can see a world like this? Anybody? How many of you, how many of you see this in life today? Anyone? <laughs> yeah. Again, pray it's not true of either of us. The reason we're looking at this is if we ever see any symptoms, man, we want to know where it goes and we want to cure it before we get there to the end. But the hangry heart is a heart that devises wicked plans, finding a way to separate the gap so I can look down upon people and not even be challenged. So everybody knows how awesome I am. And then look at this. In order to be able to do it, I got to have feet that haste and run to evil. So every little piece of dirt, every little thing that's going on, I got to know about it. Everything concerning. Uh, does anybody here know any busybodies? <laughs> you ever met a busybody? George, you ever met a busybody? For evil? Yeah. All right. 
All right, thank you. Well, I pray it's not to separate the gap. You know, I pray it's to, because because if if you're a busy body, what if 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 you're looking and finding needs, what would be the godly thing to do? <laughs> or yeah, to meet them, to help them. Yeah, instead, but this person, they're they're trying to separate the gap. They have a hangry heart. They're they're obsessed with this with some situation some conflict with somebody and 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 they're looking to find dirt they're looking for ways again to their busybody because anything may help me accomplish things but look at the uh look at the last part here all right so you guys remember the first part so do you remember the first part? Or are you just pregnant? Lights on, nobody home. You're just kind of hanging out. First part. First part. We're looking what down at others, and we're ugh, lifting ourselves up, and then we're picking on others, all to separate the gap. What that's going to create in us is what kind of heart is that going to create? Yeah, because you're never going to be satisfied. It, 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 it's like eating junk food. It's never going to satisfy you, you know. And you're going to become a busybody in everybody's business. Because it's all ammo to separate the gap. And what he says is this is going to create dishonesty and disunity. And that displeases God. God doesn't want you messing with his family. Even if you're in the family. Look at this. A false witness who breathes out lies. Hey, so what do you see when you think about a false, you're thinking, a false witness that breathes out lies? What do you see in Chris? Yeah, every breath, man. It's almost like, you know, you ever met somebody with bad breath? All right, you know what I'm saying? That's bad breath. <laughs> They're breathing out lies. Everything that comes out of their mouth is a lie. Everything coming out of their mouth has some non-truth to it. It's usually got some truth, right? How many of y'all know somebody with bad spiritual breath? Somebody that, that basically you can't really trust whatever they're saying because there's ulterior motives in it? And so, so that's this person now. They're, they're, you can't even trust the situation. They're, they're now, so the first lying that they're doing, Erica, is to pull themselves up. I'm bragging on myself. Well, since people still don't get it, now I'm just outright lying. And you know what I have found in the last few years? And I'm not blaming Democrats, Republicans, CNN, Fox. I'm not blaming Trump and Pelosi. I'm not, I'm not blaming any of these situations, but there's a trend that I've noticed in the last five, six years that I've seen through this um, in, in society, that people can lie. Like, I could tell a lie about Tom, and I could tell it from right up here, and I'm guaranteeing that most people, it would be now in their mind as an impression, and they would believe it. And do they need any proof, Tom, to believe the lie I just shared? No. And, and, and so now people go, and you and your family go, and for weeks you're planning on, you're, you're, you're coming up with evidence to prove the lie I told about you is wrong. But you come out with the evidence, and now all of a sudden, five weeks later, you come out with the evidence and say, this is not the truth, and here's the proof. Does, does that even matter to people anymore? No, because they're buying the next lie and the next lie. I've noticed this in the last five years or so, how all someone's got to do is lie. And everybody says, okay, and uh, it doesn't sound right, but yet that's what sticks in their mind. And by the time you come up with the truth to refute the lie, it doesn't even matter because there's another lie and nobody's going to even, they already have their judgment made on you in there. What's the saying somebody came up with? They said that the, uh, 
um, that a lie gets halfway around the block before the truth ever gets its shoes on. You ever hear that saying? The, a lie gets halfway around the block before the truth ever even gets its shoes on. In other words, you can never catch up with the lie. And so that's what this person is doing. They've now got to this point where now there's lies, there's lies, there's deception. How many of y'all uh, have ever, I'm just going to say it, how many of y'all believe you're living in a world right now where you can't trust too much? You know? You, 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 how many of y'all have become very skeptical on things you read? Very skeptical on things you hear? From anybody? How many of y'all think this has become a very, like, deceptive world? It's, it's been proven that it's happening. And, and so that's this situation. And so by this deception, you know what? If it was the truth, you know, Ken, here's the truth. It's presented here. You and I look at it and we believe the truth, but it's not really the truth. So we have to get two different perceptions. And what does that do to us now? It divides us. It divides us because there's not a truth. Hey, but what is the only thing that is true? God's word is the only thing that's true. And that's why we've got to take everything back to that. So this false witness is breathing out lies. <sighs> and one, and look at the seventh one, the one who sows or creates discord. What is discord? Yeah, disunity, man. Discord, trouble. Among who? The brothers. Hey, Chris, you love your daughters, right? You love your wife? What, what if somebody came in and started causing trouble with these guys right here and started causing trouble? What, how, would, would you do anything about that? You would need to, yeah, yeah. What, what, if, they started turning, what if they started turning them against you? <laughs> you I mean, would you, would you, yeah. If somebody started, started messing with your family, you know, somebody starts messing with your family. How do you feel about that, Jason? Dude, got to do something. It's your responsibility. Who's the father of this family? God. And so in this, um, God hates when there's discord. He says, so again, when you look down on others and lift yourself up and pick on people, you develop a hangry heart and a busy body. It's a digression that goes on. And that creates dishonesty, disunity, and it displeases God. And you know what? It can kill a once-loving community. You know, I can think of a couple of times uh, in our family. Um, and I've, I've preached them and shared with them and stuff. Situations where we've had everything clicking in our family, and all of a sudden, Ashley meets some guy. It wasn't JJ. <laughs> Met some guy. And all of a sudden, we've got division in our family. You know, and I'm glad we got over that year where you hated my guts. Keone appreciates it now. <laughs> but I'm just saying, but, but how many of you ever had something get in your family that just created division? It created, man, it's horrible thing. And we got to fight with everything we've got to bring that back again. And so God hates it when this disunity and this dishonesty kills a once loving community, when something gets in the middle of it. Now, my son, he, he did way worse. And Emily, where's Emily? Emily hadn't done anything yet, so, <laughs> yet. But <laughs> I'm not saying I'm waiting, but she says she's learned from the others. But, but how is it when things aren't clicking in the house? Remember when Matt was dating that one girl? And all I got left from that girl is my dog, which I praise God for that, that he didn't date her or he didn't marry her and all that stuff. All I got left is a dog, but that's cool. I'll take that over. But I'm just saying, do you remember what our house was like? <laughs> 
when, when, when there was rebellion going on, it was crazy in the house. There was no peace. It's so much nicer when there's that peace. So anything we can do to not have that division come in, we've got to do that. And we don't have to compromise the truth in that. But look at this last part and we're done. I think you've got to find your value in simply being a member of God's family. In this situation right here, where's your value? Your value is in, whoa, look at me. Look at my accomplishments. Look at me. Look at what I, and, and, and I've got I've to lift myself up and I've got to squish you down so I can, I can separate the division here so everybody will know. And, and, and that's where your value is. If you start finding yourself that critical spirit, start thinking about where you're finding your value. Your value is in simply being a member of God's family. And you're not going to be here that long. And we got to love others the way we want them to love us. So that's a little different. Gary, you're out there fishing. You've got the snook of a lifetime on there. And not a tarpon you got to throw back. I'm talking a keeper snook, man. Top size. It's gonna, you're tasting it the whole time you're fighting. And some tourist throws his line over top of yours while you're fighting and say, hey, are there more out there? And his line's all tangled with yours and he's fighting you and you're trying to bring the... What would you want? How would, how would you want to be loved if you were him? You need to be praying, yeah. Yeah. Chris, tomorrow, man, you get the wave of the day. It's coming in, the wave of the day you've been waiting for, and somebody from Miami drops in on you. Two of them drop in on you on both sides. How would you want them, how would you want to be loved if you made the mistake and did that? You'd have to be praying, right? Just like him. I'm just saying, stuff's going to happen. But the key in the law is what he says is that, we have to love others the way God, the way, uh, love others the way God loves us. We love him, he causes us to love others. We love others the way we want to be loved ourselves. So whatever you want for yourself, you need to want that for them. And that's not always the easiest thing to be. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I know these are a couple of, uh, just kind of obscure little verses in here, and, um, um, Father, I skipped them before, and I know that you want me to bring them up today, and, and along with Proverbs 6. And so, Father, I, I pray that if we ever find ourselves with that critical spirit where everything just seems to be wrong, wherever we go, things just stink, I pray, Father, that we would get alone with you, and we would allow you to take care of that Limburger cheese mustache that we have. I pray that you would show us from your perspective that there's some things that have to change in our lives. I pray, Father, that we would fall more in love with you so that we can fall more in love with others. Father, I pray if we ever see ourselves um, just trying to condemn based on limited information, we would take the high road and give, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, the benefit of a doubt knowing that we don't know everything, but you do. And if there's anything that needs to happen, you'll make it happen in their lives. You're their parent, and you would in turn just show us what to do. So Father, help us not be in the practice of looking down on others. The minute we look down on someone, Father, I pray you'd convict us. The minute we find ourselves bragging and trying to lift ourselves up, show us that that's not really where our value is, so it can never become our value. 
And Father, God forbid that we pick on people and push people down just to separate the gap. Father, I pray you would save us from that. Father, protect us from a hangry heart and protect us from being busybodies, being involved in stuff that's not our business. And don't ever let us be used to create division and um, distrust. Father, help each of us do what we need to do to make this family the most loving um, family that it can be. Father, I love the vibe. You give it driftwood where I pray everyone feels welcome. Everybody looks forward to seeing each other. And um, we are just here trying to see life from your perspective, trying to fix the issues we have that we're open about. But Father, I pray we'd never be condemning because you're not. And I pray, Father, that you um, would just teach us how to love each other like you love us. And if there's someone here that's never given their life to Christ and they don't understand that love that you've given us, I pray you, you would just speak to them, that you would show them what that love is. And um, they would just fall in love with you and surrender all they know about themselves, all they know about you. So, Father, I pray that as believers, we would have unity. That's even what Jesus prayed before he went to be crucified. One of his last prayers was that the world wouldn't divide his church, but his church would be unified because they would realize they're all in the same boat, just different seats. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.